When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. We are going to be talking movies, video games, comic books, all that geek stuff, the pop culture stuff, on the road to Stanley's LA Comic Con. It's coming up Halloween weekend. Uh, we're here in the Westwood One Studios, and um, we've got an awesome guest today, uh, Jake Busey. Yeah, did you laugh when I said that? You're like, I'm not awesome. I think you're awesome. I'm just chill, man. I'm just Jake. Uh, no, Jake, I'm excited about uh, having you on the show, because uh, at first I was like, Jake Busey, when Camellia, you're publicist did i pronounce that right camelia yeah. when she sent me the uh publicity materials for dead ant i immediately looked at the trailer because i'm a big music fan and i also love monster movies like eight-legged freaks oh yeah yeah, you know, yeah. And like eight-legged freaks like that's all that stuff one. that's one that i enjoy and then right. you know obviously like there's the sharknado films and all those movies but yeah that's you know that's, but that's that, that to me deal. yeah it's a totally different tone and i and i don't love the wink wink stuff you know, eight-legged freaks. It felt like the stakes were still semi being taken seriously, right? You know, um, and then just like going back all the way to like Night of Lepus and stuff like that, where it's like giant rabbits and things. But I saw the trailer and I posted it to uh, our horror website, or our horror podcast, and cool. I was like, cool. what? I was like, what is this? Yeah, it's um, well, it's different. I mean, I really don't even know that it fits in a specific genre. It definitely crosses over into a few. And when we first started shooting it, it was like, okay. This is a giant ant movie, and mm-hmm. it's sort of, yeah, it's a horror film. It's got a little bit of comedy, um, but it's a glam rock band from 1989. It was a one-hit wonder, and they're trying to make their comeback, and they're going to try and do it at Coachella, and they're all fat and old, and they're all, well, except for Reese Coiro. Maybe I should just speak for myself. I'm <laughs> fat and old. Everyone else looks great. Um, but Tom Arnold is in the movie, too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but... As the whole process evolved and as we shot it and as we spent time together and then as the director spent all of this, I mean, gosh, about a year of of doing the post and editing and then sort of polishing it, it kind of became more of a movie about a band trying to make a comeback. Yeah. And then there's these ants. So the movie's called Dead Ant. It premieres tomorrow night at Screamfest. Yeah, 730 um, at Grauman's Chinese. Come down. And guys, you guys got the big theater. Yeah, we got like, 1,100 seats. <laughs> so come down, Geekscapers. Yeah. Uh, I thought the movie was hilarious. And um, and again, I, like, I love that, that music. I love the music. I love the horror aspect. I love uh, pretty much the action a- aspect to it. And I love the outrageousness of it. I think, yeah. that, I think that right now um, everybody's thinking about that. Con- let's do a contained horror movie. Let's do a Saw or let's do a ghost movie or like a paranormal yeah. activity and, and that's yeah. kind of taken over horror to an ex- uh, yeah like there I, is it's very much the whole metaphysical thing is yeah. really in vogue in the right same now. way that like in superhero movies christopher nolan kind of pointed everybody through to, towards the, in the dark knight movies like towards being really serious and what if this was like how would you really do this and how would you yeah but the second you have superman pop up I think you should really abandon a lot of that because <laughs> <laughs> because immediately, like, anybody without a moral code like Superman, which is arguable whether or not this new Superman, the Henry Cavill Superman, is written with a moral code that's strict. Yeah. Like, yeah. he just turned us into food. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, and that, that it, there is a point in there, too. There is a, there's a, a thing, I think, that we all sort of check ourselves and we all catch ourselves doing when, we're, when we are watching films like that. Yeah. Like, even watching The Walking Dead or something or... but. 
moreover, yeah, like Independence Day 2 or, or, you know, and you're watching this completely farcical experience. And then something happens and a character does something like, you know, he just he pulls someone's arm out of their socket entirely. And yeah. you're like, oh, that would never happen. Meanwhile, there's like three spaceships hovering <laughs> yeah, behind the guy. That's the thing you have you a know. problem with. Yeah. Is that, is that character <laughs> moment where you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She Ooh. would never be wearing a skirt. It's raining outside. It's a really you know? tough dance geek escapist. <laughs> well, I think what I'm saying is I feel relieved whenever something shows up and it's like, hey, we're just going to be unabashedly fun and we're not going to apologize and we're just going to go. Yeah. Um, and this one does a pretty good balance of that stuff. And again, like I, I call it the little, I don't think, I don't know if it's respected that much, but I like Eight Legged Freaks. I love that first Tremors movie. Yeah. That first Tremors movie, like, holds up. Oh, it's a across, cult classic, man. It's that, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there were and parts of this that reminded me of it. Yeah. And Tremors is definitely one of those where you're watching it and you're thinking of how bizarre it is, but then you get sucked into the story and then something again will happen and be like oh he could never chop that worm in half so with <laughs> us it's got reba in it when, when that thing yeah. hits the wall and reba's like in her underground bunker yeah and the thing yeah. hits the wall and reba's like i was like okay reba kind of kicks ass in that movie totally and they're doing the uh tv series i just auditioned for one of the roles um, Only, but not the worm the no, human not worm. Yeah, yeah strangely enough <laughs> yeah. i didn't know tremors was gonna be a tv series yeah it's um it's uh what are those things? The worms were called, what, graboids or something? I, like I that? don't know because I think they, in the sequel they started adding like the ones that hopped and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was, was like, a- nah, <laughs> come on. And, you know, I mean, I, I like Jamie Kennedy, but I was like, the, the, it seems like the Jamie Kennedy films, uh, just by, I'm, guys, I'm just hearing them. I'm not saying it's that Jamie Kennedy was, re- was responsible. I'm just saying like the third, fourth, fifth ish movie, they started having to name them because they got really away from the worm thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't really see him, so I have to Neither apologize. I. But but Jamie's in that movie. I think he's hilarious. But and He's uh, great. We did Enemy of the State together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's funny. But he, you, whatever, you, whatever you auditioned for, I want to see it. Well, I, well, you know, I don't think I got the role. No. But uh, I think it was like to play like Kevin's brother or like a friend of his or something like that. But uh, it works, you know. Hey, why not? I think my buddy was out here a few years ago. <laughs> they always write it in, yeah. you know, like this associative throwaway line, yeah. Where it's yeah. like, oh, great, right. there's a mythology to the tremor. Okay, so about. now we understand. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to spoil the ending of this film, Dead Ant, but you know what? Maybe we have the beginnings of a mythology here. <laughs> At least <laughs> well, the beginnings of a soundtrack. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of talk of a, of a sequel too, and we haven't even done our our main release so that's kind of encouraging that's exciting you know and um i watched the film and yeah it it's campy it does have a a little bit of the wink wink you're talking about it has a little bit of the i don't know the movie it it sort of it lets you know that it knows it's not a big movie right now it's like okay we don't have a lot of money we're not making a giant film but hey, you know what? This is fucking entertaining and you're going to like it and you're going to have fun and you're going to laugh and you're going to feel like you just saw a concert when you leave and yet they were fighting these giant ants and it sort of becomes completely okay and rational that they would be fighting these giant ants. And um, it's uh, it's just, it's it's oddly compelling. It's the little movie that could or... Or shouldn't have. I mean, <laughs> I think. Well, I think we, what what you touched on earlier, but what worked for me in the movie in making it not just go off the rails and kind of be n- nothing against Sharknado. I know some geeks here love Sharknado, but uh, what keeps it from doing that is that grounding of, hey, we're kind of failures. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like we we, we this thing that we have yeah. is we're not that thing anymore, and we want to get that thing back rather than just move on. Right. We right. want to get that thing back, and I think that. That, that kind of uh, melancholy, those little moments are the things that keep it from just going off the rails mm. and not being something that's like completely disposable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you, not just, it's not just unabashed entertainment like that. It's, right. it's um, got a little bit of grounding and, you know, in researching your life and everything to prepare for this, like just realizing, I don't think, I mean, I know that your dad played Buddy Holly. I know he got an Oscar nomination for, for playing Buddy Holly, but. Yeah, was, no, was, no, he was a musician. Yeah, and anybody who yeah. thinks of Gary as just a musician or as just an actor is wrong. Yeah, yeah, we, he's he's a musician first and foremost. So you grew up in like a band family, like you grew mm-hmm. up with yeah, a musician a as a father, studio in the house. Yeah, and um, 
so he had all the instruments and everything set up, full, you know, full recording studio. And um, during that time period, late seventies, early like throughout the eighties, um, when I was a kid, um, his friends were Mick Fleetwood and Cherry Williams and and, and Bonnie Raitt and uh, you know Delaney Bramlett and like T Bone Burnett and. That's crazy. Um, like all, you know, yeah. Did you appreciate? I mean, how could you even appreciate that as a kid? Like, um, I think after a while, you're growing up and you're appreciating some of that stuff. But. What you do? It's just those. It's just that the grown-ups are rockers, right? You know, the grown-ups are like they have guitars around their necks and they got a joint in one hand and they're like talking about how they're going to change the world. And um, it's pretty cool. It's uh, it was a great way to grow up. And uh, you know, when I was a kid, in the moment, there was times where I was like, why don't I get to go? Why didn't my dad take me camping on the weekends like my other friends at school whose dads work at the hardware store sure. or whatever, you know? And then I realized when I grew up and became, you know, whatever, a grown-up, I was like, man, you know, my childhood was pretty cool because I got to see some shit that normal people really don't get to see. Like, right. I spent a lot of, like, my dad, like, was really good friends with Willie Nelson. They did a movie together, so we were on the road. They did a movie, and... uh a big western in 1980 and then so there was like i don't know six months of living you know wearing old west clothes as a nine-year-old as an extra on the film and like everybody just became their parts on this film down in lajitas texas and and uh so it was it was like okay the summer that i was nine years old it was it was 1895 for me you know that's insane so it was cool yeah there was a lot of really cool things like that you know and then like when i was eight years old the year before um he had done a film with robbie robertson who lead singer guitar player for the band like the band you know the band cripple creek right you know take a load off annie you know so my dad and robbie produced and co-wrote uh the film and and then the uh the entire soundtrack and both of our families lived in a savannah mansion like an old plantation mansion so the Busey side and the robertson side had a big staircase in the middle like you know gone with sure. the wind and uh we had a, a chef whose name was jacques and he had pe- pigeons that were his, his pets and he fed them off the back in the kitchen you know with the white towel floor it was just like of france kitchen and like you know so Robbie and Dominique's kids, uh, um, you know, Alexandria and Delphine and Sebastian, they're all, yeah, like yeah. we're all around the same age. And so, like, we spent that whole summer together. And Jodie Foster was in the movie. She was 16. And I had, like, a major crush on her. So, like, for my eighth yeah. birthday that we had on set, I brought her a piece of cake. I was like, here you go, Jodie. Um, here's a piece of cake. You're and shaking the entire time. Shaking, you know, holding the plate of cake, you know, and I put it down in front of her. And she's so nice, so sweet. And she, she, you know, she said thanks, and she smiled real big at me and stuff. And then years later, she remembered that when I did contact. She was like, hey, how are you? Gave me a big hug. And you know, Where's my was, cake? Where's my cake? <laughs> and it was old home week. So, yeah, I had a different way of, of uh, I did a different childhood. Yeah, it was. I grew up in a different way. But, yes, music at the core. And so, as a young boy, you're going to gravitate toward things you could bang on. And so I started playing drums before I can remember. And that's kind of been my thing. And, then and it still is. Still, still primarily you, you is. You play guitar yeah. now in a band. Well, when I was 18, uh-huh. a couple years ago, just a couple, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I realized that you couldn't woo a young lady by bringing a drum set to the bonfire at the beach. You know, the, at the, the binging comes later, babe. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you got that right. <laughs> so, no, you know, so I learned how to play acoustic guitar and I started writing songs. And then a friend of mine was like, those are really good. And, and sort of proximity, you know, being in the right place at the right time, he, he knew these guys that were, you know, local, just Malibu derelict guys, but as it turns out, they're studio owners, and they have this studio and a record label in Hollywood on, like, Selma and Wilcox, and so they hear my songs, and they're like, okay, let's do a a record deal for you. So at 18, I had this development deal, and I'm, I'm writing and playing music. John Bryan comes in and plays guitar on mm-hmm. it, and Fred Tackett from Little Feet played guitar. I played drums. We had, I mean, it was... A really cool project, but I was just too immature, and I was all over the place, and it was, um, uh, 
you know, it was... It was like too much too soon? Too much too soon. And I, you know, and I... I was started very humble, and as the process went on, I started thinking I was like a better singer than I was, and so then that just kind of got disastrous. And the guy who was producing it was like, you know, this is, and I was eighteen, you know, he yeah. was just like, this kid is just—it's uh, a hobby at that point. It's too much for him. Or like, it was, I was it too much like a hobby. Like no, I mean, no, I it was, was too much. Dead you were serious. In. You were I was in, and I was thinking I was Chris Robinson, and I fucking was oh. not. Okay, you know, and really. They were, like, trying to have me sing more like Robbie does. Like, if you remember, like, Robbie's solo album in, like, 88 or 89, you know, where he's just kind of more, like, got that Tom Waits just sort of gravelly, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Or more like Jake Dillon, you know. Right. Like, that kind of vibe was what I had started out as. And it would have, I think it would have really gone good. It would have been a great project. But I had to screw it all up in, you know, taking, like, vocal lessons and then trying to sing real high and do the whole, like, what? And like, like this is in the that. this is probably nineties. This like, is like, yeah. This is 90, 90, 1989. And like the crazy thing is like that voice that like that vocal style is about to just really come into like fashion. Right. Like the, yeah. like the like all that glam rock stuff is about to go away totally. In like nineteen ninety one, one more year, nineteen ninety one, yeah. and everybody's doing grunge and everybody's doing alternative. And then yeah, know, like right there, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was a real pivotal time because like I was in the studio and there was this brand new album called Ten that had just come out yeah. by this band with a new singer from Seattle, and then uh, there was um, the Facelift album from Alice in Chains, and so Facelift and Ten, those two albums hit, and it was like it totally it was it was like somebody peeled back the curtains and said like here here's some real music. Yeah, and it was like a, just a big sigh of relief. Like I think for oh everyone, God, it was just like we don't have thank to you. do you know. And you guys are kind of making like poking at the, that kind of uh, band in this movie. Oh, we're going you know, back you guys to, are going straight to like, and, all the cock rock bands. Oh, it's like yeah. oh, it's not, it's not even like Warrant or Winger. It's like it's not even White Lion. It's just Lion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lion, you geeks may know, did like the the cover of the Transformers theme song for the animated movie in '86, and that's all you know from them. You know, right, so yeah. it's like not even that stuff. Uh, no, this is uh, these guys are yeah, these and, guys are not even white snake, which is know? crazy. I just uh, last week I watched this. Uh, I watched the uh, the documentary that they did on Jawbreaker, the punk yeah. rock man, and it was amazing. I talked about. I mentioned I was going to see it on the show last week, and it was phenomenal. And just seeing like all that. I mean, but the, but obviously like that sound is it's punk. It's like you don't yeah. the singing is. Yeah. The singing is 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 second to the to the lyrics and second to the energy, right? You know what I mean. Um, yeah. there, I mean, are, you're you're a musician now, so like, there's not really any regrets. It's like, no, that was just part of your evolution to where you're at now with your band. Yeah, and th- you know, about five years ago, um, my uh, my wife got pregnant, and um, so we sort of shifted our our path and our sure. pattern, and. Um, they, and and also all the guys in my band, uh, this is the Sons of Lawless band. Yeah, yeah, found sobriety except for one, and he was the one guy that was, um, you know, uh, a pivotal m- member of the band. And um, so we just decided to kind of call it, and right. and um, and then I stepped into the shoes of fatherhood, and you know now I still I, now I play for fun and mm-hmm. I play where I'm not thinking, okay, we're gonna. M- I'm going to make this really successful and make this some sort of commercial product. Now it's just I just play for getting together and just jam for jam and steak with friends and people have known forever, you know. So, That's cool. Yeah. So now it really truly is a hobby. And, you know, realistically because I'm, I've been working on so many films and television shows that there's just there's no time to be in a band. And I'm quite frankly, I'm too old to be lugging drums around. And I do prefer being in front. Instead of behind, uh, as far as on stage goes, so um, you know, you're only going to get an acoustic EP. Geekscape is like that's what he's saying. It's like, yeah, hey, uh, there you go. The acoustic EP <laughs> may be in the future, but it's going to be really like toned down. It's going to be really stripped down. It's going to be from the heart yeah. because it's going to be a labor of love. There you go. It's not where the focus is. But when it, so when it comes out, you're going to know it's something really special. But Dead Ant, on the other hand, <laughs> is taking it right back to Skid Row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's where the down boys go. <laughs> Except, you know, there's, I mean, I don't, Skid Wasn't Row. Wasn't that a Skid Row song? Uh, what? Where the, the down, down boys go. I, I honestly go. don't know. 
Maybe. I think that's a Skid Row song. I'll tell you that Sebastian Bach, though, that dude, man, he's he is he's a hell of a singer, man. Dude, that well, guy is. Remember, he played incredible. the Beast on. I think he played the Beast in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. Like Did he had he a really? stretch of playing the Beast, so I mean, the dude can sing. Well, it would make sense. I mean, he's also my size. Like mm-hmm. I did a little film with him, and I became friends with him. And he, he, like, we're both. You know, he's like six foot three, six foot four, and then got all that long blonde hair. So, could you imagine in 1989 he walks into like a record executive it office? Like Thor walks in. And he looks like Thor walks in, except Thor that's like gorgeous, like right. you know, and uh, and then can sing like that, like eight octave fucking range. It's like, oh, was he the best? Like, because like David Coverdale looked like that too. You know, mm, yeah, from, I don't... You know, like David Coverdale looked like that, and obviously like. Um, Michael's looked like that, like all you know, Jesse, like all these guys looked, you know, but but it it seems like he was the one who just like could have could have had a career had away a, from that type yeah. of music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like David Coverdale is like when that music went away, like I feel like a lot of those guys were like, shit, what do we do? <laughs> you know <what laughs> yeah, I mean? there was well, there was a lot of those guys who were I think like sort of you know trying to hold on to the back of the train as it's leaving the station, sure. and then like no. It's leaving. The music train is gone. What do we get? And and just sort of never moved on from that. And, yeah, and you you're VH1 special. Like VH1 <laughs> had that special. Like what happened to rock? And people were like, "Well, I think it's coming back." And, then, <laughs> and it's like, "Well, eh, say hi to electronic music." Yeah. Now it's all a bunch of Game Boys played through speakers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah good luck. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. Um, no, it's different. It's totally different. You know, one of my my, be- my best friends growing up, and we're still we're still very good friends. Um, he's not a musician whatsoever, um, but he's always been into hip hop. And um, so, after his divorce started going through, he was he needed to do something with his life, and not sure, you know, extracurricularly. He has, right. he has a flourishing company. Um, so, anyhow, he decided to take up. Uh, learning how to dj mm-hmm. so it's so different now because it's all digital and everything and you're not just only doing like dealing with what we dealt with when we crossfade were, you know yeah <laughs> yeah um that's all you had was a couple of you know two turntables and a microphone that right. was it and now he's showing me this setup that's got like you're not even it's it's the the, the vinyl the 12 inch vinyl lp is not even it's not even musical sounds. It's time code. Yeah, and the time code triggers the, the all whatever damn sound you want in the computer. Totally blew me. It's away. almost like all the pedals. I mean, I saw an, yeah. I saw an acoustic performer named Griffin House on Saturday night, um, and he would put a beat to some of his. Acu- it was all acoustic, and he was amazing. Uh, Heidi Cox, who's one of the uh, one of our former guests, came uh, introduced me to him, and we went and saw him, and he uh, was like using the pedals to trigger these um, beats. And then he, he was very Petty-like, like Tom Petty-like. Like right. he, 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 you know, he started with a Petty song, and then it's all really folky stuff, and it was awesome, but that was it for electronic. And it was almost refreshing to me to be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I saw Green Day, and even that, like a couple of weeks ago, and even that like seemed huge. Yeah. But oh, like, my God, absolutely. You know, and it was funny. Like in the, in the movie, you guys were talking about like, hey, bands don't do pyro anymore. You don't right. do explosions. Yeah. And it seemed like... They had an entire like artillery behind Green Day when I went and saw them at the Rose Bowl. Really? Everything was just fire. <laughs> like every two <laughs> seconds was fire and explosion. And I was like, "Well, this is one of the biggest rock bands on the country, like yeah. in the world. This is kind of what I, I paid for. This is right. fucking awesome. Big show. You need a show, right? You know? you know. And Billy, you know, he Billy Joe, he he rocks the eyeliner. The he, first time I saw them, they were, it was. I think I said it last week on the show. It was a place called Liberty Lunch in Austin. I was underage, but my third grade teacher owned the, bar, the club, and he would let underage kids in, and that's how I discovered getting into straight edge. And he was still had his dreads. Like it was, it was like so early. And now wow. seeing them in the Rose Bowl with fire around them, yeah. I was like, holy shit, what happened? Well, that's the beauty of Austin, though. I mean, that, Austin's fantastic in that respect because that's the place where uh, years later, when a band is giant, you're like, oh, I saw them in Austin in this cool little club. Like, mm-hmm. It seems to be a repeating theme. Like, Austin is the spot for burgeoning artists. Yeah. You know? And whereas a lot of folks will think that, like, 
L.A. or the Sunset Strip or like Nashville kind like of that. has become that thing too. Like Nashville is kind of oh, like the place well, where like the hipsters start doing their Nashville. Music and stuff like that. Yeah, it just came back. Is what right. it did. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It came back. Um, Nashville was the only place for 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 the longest time in the beginning with Elvis and everything. But and um, yeah, again, you know, uh, we're definitely in a an interesting time right now and i just i just found out about some great new bands some good some good music that i i haven't been able to really listen to new bands in the past five years but um this band greta von fleet mm-hmm. amazing it's instruments though it's like and, heavy oh yeah yeah cool. and um 12 foot ninja oh <laughs> we're in we're in 12 foot ninja man those guys are incredible i love 12 foot ninja it's like if you look at their they got a video that's just outrageous and they're australian you know in this video they're they're all like you've been busy oh i've been busy oh yeah i've been so busy oh i'm so have you been busy oh yeah i've been busy as a cat uh, scratching concrete like what what are you talking about that's not busy what do you mean cat scratching concrete no a cat trying to bury shit on concrete (laughs) and that and they do this five-minute video, and you're just laughing your ass off, and then the song kicks in. and Yeah, so finally I'm seeing some new music that I'm really digging, and it's um, these bands that are kind of mixing everything. Uh-huh. They're mixing... I mean, the influences it's a new form. are it's really cool. There's a new cool. organism going on. It's metal and folk music and, like, Sinatra jazz and, like, rock and all of these things that are all in one, and... Um, does it get you excited to go back to the drums? Start yeah, picking up some new it's stuff? the kind of thing that makes me like I'm, you know, oh. I'm excited to hear rather than like okay, I'll <laughs> go make it. <laughs> turn on my '90s station again, well, you know. I mean, so when I put out to the Geekscapists that you're coming on the show, like the stuff that excited them was like obviously like our geek heroes who've made movies that you were in, like Peter Jackson. Oh yeah, like the Frighteners. Like you were pretty young when you did the Frighteners, and you played a pretty like big role in that movie yeah but it was also at the time like, the longest production that the overseas that universal had ever greenlit because it yeah. went from like may to november it was a long one yeah yeah we got done right in time just so i could get the airplane home for american thanksgiving and you were in wellington yeah yeah like in wellington which is like they call it windy wellington and it looks i swear to god if someone just like teleported you there you would think that you were in san francisco mm-hmm. um which is a trip it's just really a trip because it's all the way around the world. It's like 15 hours in an airplane. Um, but it's windy, and the wind comes unobstructed from Antarctica, so it's really cold wind. Oh, really? Yeah, and the weather is just brutal and insane. And, um, but it's beautiful. And imagine the place the size of California. Okay. And how many people live in Los Angeles? Oh, oh like eight, 10, 12 million. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, 10 or 12 million in Los Angeles. Right. Now, think of the whole state. You've also got San Diego, San Francisco, all that other stuff, right? right? Think of a place the size of California with 4 million people. It's insane. Oh, my God. So no one's mad. Everybody's happy. Right. Nobody's in each other's business. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no nosy neighbors. Yeah. There are no neighbors. No, and there's like no lawyers. Like if you crash into someone on the road, it's like, oh, sorry, my oh, sorry, right now. I got that. Fence. I gotta pay for your fence. Right. And yeah, it's amazing. It's really it was a great place to live. It was cool to work with Peter and Fran and and, and Richard Taylor and all the and his crew They're and like all heroes. the Weta guys, you know. I saw Rich, Richard Taylor. I had uh, they were all it. unknowns when I yeah, worked with them. In in uh, I think like uh, about ten years ago, we had him on Geekscape very shortly, like at Comic Con, and he was promoting something. And I was just sitting next to trying to talk to Richard Taylor, and the words weren't coming out of my mouth because <laughs> because of those movies like Dead Alive, yeah, and, like all those fucking movies that they would Love make. That. And it, whenever I picture like Dead Alive or Bad Taste, those movies that they made early early on, I. Before Frighteners, before Heavenly Creatures, all that stuff, I, I just imagine these guys who would become mega institutions in our industry but just playing with puppets and shit, like, like, yeah. like drinking yeah. blood, trying to figure out how to make this shot work. Yeah. And, like, they're just having fun. Oh, yeah, they were absolutely just having fun. And um, Peter has two crews going at the same time, hmm. always. So they're, you know, they may be even in the same soundstage, but they're... There's two DPs. There's two, you know, he just doubles everything. Wow. Um, I don't know. So, like, one is set up, shoot. One is setting up. The other one's shooting. One's setting up. Yeah. The other one's shooting. So, he's yeah. going and he's checking decisions. He's making all that stuff. And he's and he's really only at the monitors. Because, I mean, sitting around is a lot of directing. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like, you direct. 
you make a lot of the decisions and then everybody goes and lights and tweaks and you're kind of sitting yeah. there being like eh, <laughs> well i mean you're really you're, you're really checking things you're getting hit with a barrage of questions, questions every right. department is like what would you think about this what do you think um there's someone delivering this today would you like that and and what about this character you know his boots are just kind of weird and, oh you know we've got a light out over here what do you think about using yeah. the shot from this way and it just doesn't stop it doesn't stop um, and a lot of these things become very microscopic when they're filmed yeah. Like, it's like, oh, you know what? We didn't even shoot that. Right. <laughs> that thing got yeah. cut. Or, we, you know, the camera was even pointing that. We're on a, you know, we're on a, you know, we're on a long lens. You don't even see it. The, the hardest know? the hardest work that I think I've ever done as an actor was the month that I spent on the blue screen stage. Um, and it was all the ghost. On Frighteners. Flying stuff on Frighteners, yeah. And what we did, what they don't do anymore, but um, it was revolutionary at the time. And... Um, you know, we were shooting on film, of course, 35-millimeter film. And um, the, uh, the 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 stage, the set for the Trini Alvarado, correction, um, D. Wallace's house, mm-hmm. um, that old house, the whole living room where we do that scene where I swipe the, my hand through Trini's head, and I'm like, that Russian cannibal creeps got to score a 50, 40-plus. <laughs> you know, um, sure. it's making a fool of me, Patty. We're going to, we got to, you know, so that scene. Yeah, because you're obsessed with being like the biggest mass murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have the beating highest. Beating the numbers, yeah. Yeah, got to beat the numbers. So so we do that whole scene with the three of us, and we film it, and the camera is on a dolly, which is. Um, so motion control? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's because connected. you do it again with D. It's connect. Well, yeah, or so you- it was connected <clears throat> to the computer, so. As we shot it, the computer memorized everything that uh, the camera operator did. And when we got the good take, they said, okay, boom, this is it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go with this one. And then a month later, while other people were doing other things, and like I said, he's got two crews going sure. once, I show up at the, green, at the blue screen stage, and the floor is all silver, and there's no reference points. There's no stands. There's, you know when you see these days, like, they're doing a green screen movie, and they'll be like... Oh, there's like boxes furniture. and furniture yeah. and shapes and stuff, but it's all like green. Yeah. Well, this was just, there was nothing. It was just a flat silver floor. Maybe a reference marker? Not, <laughs> not even like Not a, even tape. Wow. Just a silver floor and blue walls. And then they set the camera up. And of course, now the camera is working from the computer. And as an actor, um, now all of a sudden I'm put into a situation where. I've never experienced, which is the camera has, you know, the timing is always the same. And you have to, and what? It's like a dance partner. It is a dance partner. And you have to lead the camera because if you're slow, the camera will move on to your next position before you start to go there. Right. And then that's when you feel like, oh shit, is this thing going to shoot me? Like it's, it's really weird. Is that Um, like some instinct from like fucking up a take with a human and you're like, okay, they have a temperament. Their patience is running out for me. And then the, you, you start to project that onto a, like a, an object like a computer. And well, you're like, oh, this is how the, it begins. This is how Judgment Day goes. Right. They well, just get sick of our shit. It was, it was more like, I think it was because it looked like, you know, number five. It looked like right. a... Like Johnny a, Five? Yeah. From like, from Short Circuit? Yeah. <laughs> it, it looked like this robot that was, you know, it could have had like a little arm or, you know, one of those robots that was roaming around in Terminator or, you know, that could just pull out another arm and have a gun on it. But uh, that was your last take, Jacob. Yeah. And that was that was that was so hard because you I'm talking to people that aren't there mm-hmm. and I'm I'm doing everything I did and having to follow like there's no marks to stand on, there's no path to follow. It was really, really, really difficult. Yeah, maybe that's where they invented it. Maybe that they were like, you know what? When we do this again, let's put tape down. Yeah. <laughs> let's give Jake a path to follow. It was crazy. You know? Yeah. Uh, what about you acted with like one of our close friends, Cash Van Dean? Oh, Starship yeah. Troopers. Like, it's a huge one. Uh, when I put out to the Geekscapers for questions, uh, Miles Harbord was just like, no questions. Just loved him in Starship Troopers. <laughs> like that was my, that was Miles's question. Uh, but Thanks, uh, one Miles. of our, one of our listeners, uh, Frank Sanders, did say. If the rest of the cast decided to actually get that tattoo, would you do it? Yeah. You would? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, definitely. let's call Casper. Let's see if he'll do it. Yeah. Okay, we, we, just, we just force you in a new tattoo. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, I already have one that's in that spot, and uh-huh. um, 
I'm kind of pissed off. I, I really wish that I, I didn't because, uh, the movie really was a big part of our lives, and yeah. it really was. I'd say, when I die, that's the one thing that people are most going to remember me from, whether I like it or not. And and I, it is a cool tattoo. It'd be cool to have. So um, absolutely. Do you, do you look back on the movie fondly? Like like oh you yeah, know, it's like Paul Verhoeven by that point is a master. I mean, after RoboCop and Total Recall, yeah, you're just like he, he's a sci-fi master. Yeah, and and Starship Troopers was his redemption after Showgirls. Totally. So he and he man he, he we did we watched the 20 year anniversary screening last uh, you know last Yeah, Casper was there. A couple couple weeks. Was, ago. was that at the ArcLight? Yeah. Yeah. And I finally got to see the film for what it is. I finally got to see the film as uh, as you did. The commentary. As anyone did. Yeah. I saw because, it opening night in Philly. I had just gone to college. Yeah, and I didn't know anybody, so the people in my hall were like, "Hey, there's a movie out, and it's got action in it." And so I saw it. It's like, okay, I wasn't as film, you know, versed as I am now. Right, and I, uh, and it just hit me. I was like, "Whoa, this, yeah. this guy's got a lot more going on than just shooting bugs." Yeah, it's perfect storytelling. It is absolutely because I, you know, we were trying to figure out why is this thing so successful? Why did right. it resound with so many people? Why is it? such a big thing 20 years later and of course when we were filming it we were young and had all these aspirations of oh my god could you imagine if this became a big cult hit and this is gonna be the next star wars yeah well that's what we thought <laughs> but uh what we didn't realize was that yost was shooting it at 25 asa with a, you know sunlights everywhere on us and it was super bright super shiny everything's in focus um you know, with that, you know, really low ASA and super bright, like, you know, the stop was like probably like a Completely 11 open. or yeah. a 16 or wide open at all times. Yeah. And so like everything's in focus. Um, Which is crazy because a few years later with like Gladiator, like dropping your stop became like super, you think of oh, that, like yeah. to get that, you know, but you also had to blast with lights. Yeah. But to get that like fidgety look that was in Gladiator or like Spielberg did it with the opening of... Uh, of um, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan, yeah, like dropping the stop became like yeah. a cool thing. That was like right after, you know, the cross processing, stripping the silver out of your film became like super popular. You know yeah, what I mean? and and we were shooting on Fuji Chrome, so right. we were like Chrome, Chrome, Chrome. I mean, it was you know, it was supposed to be super glossy, and but we were kids and we didn't know all that was going on. We mm-hmm. were just like, we're gonna, this is gonna be like Nick Star Wars, dude. You know, keep in mind it's ninety six. It's not that right. far after Star Wars. Now Star Wars was like you know century ago but but looking at it 20 years later what was going through your head well here's the thing when first of all it was shot completely out of sequence um we the first day of shooting was halfway through the movie like the beginning of the um, i would say the middle of the second act you know it was like when we we go and when we just when we discover that the bugs have gotten into farley's head Right, and we mm-hmm. find Marshall Bell, and it's like, oh no, and the shit hits the fan, and we get the, we got to get out of here and retreat. So that was our first day of shooting, um, which that whole sequence probably took like you know I think three weeks. But there's a shot of us, like a big crane shot of us soldiers, just kind of walking across like the desert towards that compound, and that that was the day. That was the first couple of days, and um, so. Uh, being that it was shot out of sequence, when we and, and 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 it was really the better part of a year that we filmed it. By the time it was all put together and animated and everything came out and we watched the film, it it was it was damn near impossible to sort out the difference in your own chronology of of what when you, you experienced it, yeah. and the story yeah. of the film. Right. So, you know, I watched it. You know, uh, like in ninety-seven, yeah. a few times, and then ninety-eight, and then ninety-nine, and then it, and then I watch it like maybe once every couple of years, and then now it it had been so long since I had seen it, and so long since we've shot it that I've kind of forgotten the timeline and all the oh on that day this is when I got food right. poisoning or on this day oh see in the background there's my mom when I brought her in like all that stuff was gone and I was able to just watch it for the story and see it like someone who hadn't worked on the film and it was like oh, and the lights shined and the 
you know, the seas parted and it was like, dun, 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 dun. now I understand what Paul Verhoeven made. I understand the story. I see the movie for what it is and it's genius. It's pretty awesome. It's just genius. I can't, the guy's incredible. Like, it's flawless storytelling and there's no cut that's longer than, there's no clip that's longer than three seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's just bam, 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 rapid fire and everything drives the plot and it doesn't leave anything out and it doesn't exacerbate anything. It's just perfect. And I think that's why it's such a big success because it's just like storytelling at its finest. And it uses the language that it's commenting on. You yeah. Know, it's not just like pointing fingers from a safe place. It drenches itself in the manic energy of like MTV, what was going on at the time, and like just yeah. dumbing down of our news yeah. and dumbing down of our decision-making. Would you like, like to know it, more? It all, yeah, in the propagandistic stuff, it was using the language to throw at you. And every time you see that movie, I think it says, you know, you discover something a little bit different. Um, yeah. The geese gave us love it. Like, um, they well, were, they're pretty into it. Well, when I read the script, Geekscapists, dig <laughs> this one. There was no internet. When I read the script, I had no idea what those things were. Like, they were trying to describe in the script. Like, sure. You had to use your a, imagination. The screen comes on, and it said, there's like a flashing cursor, and it says, would you like to know more? And there's a voice, and there's like a border that's all animated. And yeah. It's like, I had no, I'm like, what the is this yeah all you had was like prodigy online like early aol at the most at the most 28.8 modem Mm -hmm. and like i was talking to a friend of mine i'm like i'm thinking about getting a computer you know should i get the 1.66 uh you get the four megabyte hard drive 486 or the you know get the pentium one the pentium one you're rocking yeah He's like, dude, don't even worry about getting the two gig hard drive. You'll never use that much space. <laughs> um, and and that was the dude who did the video compositing on the Frighteners. The uh, my fr- uh, Mark Marco Martinez in Texas is like, hey, you have fans who noticed you in Twitch in Twister. They love you in Twister. Well, they they knew me, and then they went back and watched for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, uh, Taylor Houston, who's one of our, I think he's our photographer. I mean, he does some writing, but mainly takes photos at a convention, says, does he feel Shasta McNasty was canceled before its time? Shasta McNasty was canceled a decade before its time. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I think that yeah. the commentary on like the, the hip-hop culture and all that stuff would work. I mean, you know what, you know what would be awesome if whoever owns it just put it out on the web. Just put it out. I know, up. right? Yeah. Yeah, put it out it's on the web. unavailable. Like, as like webisodes, yeah. it would actually be fun, you know, just to get these 10 minutes or less clips of insanity. Right. With a little bit of music in it. Because, uh, I mean, that's the same kind of thing that like 10 years later, Flight of the Concords comes out and right. is like stratospherically huge. huge. Yeah. And the whole comedy with a musical accompaniment, like... Came out. Yeah. And it did really well, but it came out 10 years later. Well, and the thing that was hard for us, too, is that we were a sitcom bef- uh, that did not have a live audience. Mm-hmm. And there was no laugh track. So your energy also so, on set was like, well, no, we you're had not to even, push it. you have no reaction. Yeah, we had to really push it. And the director and, uh, like, you know, um, Dennis, he does all of uh, Adam Sandler's stuff. Yeah. You know, um, oh, uh, um Dennis, oh, he asked for, I made a film, I made a short film called Gay by Dawn, a horror movie for homophobes. I made it years ago and he asked for it and I remember mailing it to him and I was like, sure, it's a comedy, it's a horror comedy, it's fun. Yeah. And uh, what is his name? He's genius. He's huge. And he, I mean, he did yeah. Chuck and Larry, he did a bunch of stuff. He works with them a lot. Yeah. And um, so he was our guy and he was just like, and we're three film actors. Mm-hmm. And he's like, come on, up, faster, faster, faster. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Faster, faster, faster. And so it suddenly became not about listening. It became about waiting to talk and um, oh, okay, and moving as fast as you possibly could. Because the rhythm's um, inorganic to you guys. Yeah. It's, like an, it's not a listening rhythm. No. Now you guys are just... Th- just waiting to fire out a joke. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, it was, you know, it was, it was at a really weird time. It was like uh, right before... Digital happened. Right. So 
you can't find it online because it was analog, and then when they canceled it, it was just done. Like UPN, I, who knows where any of that UPN's stuff ended up. Done, well, Sony, I think. Okay. Sony, Sony kind of, I think, owns all the stuff. It sounds like this kind of thing, like they keep pushing Crackle as like their digital brand and their digital you know, platform and stuff like that, and it just seems like the kind of thing that would work on a Crackle. Yeah. to rediscover this stuff. Um, yeah. I'm not saying, Sony, you know what? I'm just glad you guys have Spider-Man Homecoming. Kissing <laughs> your feet for that one. Love you, Sony. But uh, I always wonder about the stuff that's on Crackle because they have original stuff now. Like, they have the Get Shorty new series that they've yeah, started Yeah, I haven't up. seen it. What do you think about I, it? I'm not, I'm not watching because Crackle always seems like, you know, it's like you watch, what do I got? I got Netflix, then you got to get Hulu, then you got to get Amazon. And then it's like, yeah. and then once you start parsing it up, you're like, okay, do I even have room for Crackle? Well, and it's so cheaper it, just to get DirecTV. It's just, and so after, <laughs> after a while, you're just sitting there going, okay, like, you've, you've cut the pie up into so many pieces that we're not going to eat all of them. You right. know, we're not going to do it. And, well, and it's and really you, hard because they've had that brand for a long time. And, they yeah. have, and obviously they own one of the biggest libraries in Columbia oh, yeah. that, that there is. And it just seems like that would be a great place for people to get their content. Well, I'll tell you, it's a trip, man, because it's it's lovely for the viewer that mm-hmm. there is all those pieces of the pie and all that. You know, you know what you're basically talking about is many genres within genres. And, yeah, the a la carte stuff. And all of these shows and all these platforms. So there is a really weird, um, there's a kind of a dichotomy going on and like this juxtaposition of realities, which is you've got, for, for actors, for us, mm-hmm. we, we, you've got more work possibilities than there ever has been. Sure. But there, yeah, but when you do work, there, it's, the market is so flooded, it's so saturated, there's so many um, parcels and there's so many... Uh, outlets. Outlets and there's so many people wanting in and there's so many actors that are wanting work that the price point for our work has gone down. So like... <laughs> In Starship Troopers era, when mm-hmm. we made that film, we were unknowns, but we made enough money to live for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it worked. You And you you probably didn't get a job for the next two years. Sure. Now the work is so available um, that, and there's so many that there is not a giant economic piece of the pie that's big enough to cover all those little th- p- pies. Right. You know what I mean? So when you do work... We're working for, I'm, you know, I'm working for $10 an hour um, mm-hmm. is what it comes down to because there's so many uh, things to work on. And if you say, ah, you know, I, I don't, that's not enough money for me. They're like, cool, there's a guy standing right behind you that do it <laughs> right. for that, you know. So um, it's an interesting time of transition and, and it's like there's more work than ever, but you've got to work more than ever. And, and you have to put on a superhero outfit. You do. You know, spandex like, movies are really the only where the place that people are making. At least in cinema. Like yeah. t- TV is kind of finding its own way as well. You know, you did a lot of Ray Donovan. Uh, you, you did some Ray Donovan. And then, you know, you did D- Dust Till Dawn. But that was a brand new network. My brother wrestles on that network, El Ray. He does Lucha Underground. Mm. And Right on. And you just got to find It's like, where the hell do I even find this thing? My brother's like, yeah. hey, are you going to watch it? And I'm like... But yeah. I don't know where to find it. <laughs> like, and they didn't have the money to advertise the network. They didn't have, like, I kept telling them, I was like, hey, you guys got to get billboards of all over L.A., all over Texas, all over, right. you know, get billboards so people are driving in their car or riding the train or whatever. They look up and they see where to find it or what it is. It's frustrating to be dependent on traditional media to try and push new media. Yeah. And you're bridging it. And as these things are getting separate. You know, as you're standing in between these things and they're getting further and further apart, you're just getting split in half. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you're trying to get one to point to the other, and they don't very easily point to the other. Right. But if you visually look up at a billboard and see Lucha Underground, mm-hmm. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock on channel 341, sure. then okay, you're going you're gonna to do that. But then again, you've got that, the bridge you're talking about, you've got, like I, I was just working on a show that was called Freakish, mm-hmm. and it's the, the main demographic is teens. And so I was talking to a girl who's 17, um, and, and she said, yeah, nobody my age watches TV. Yeah, it's all on their phones. Yeah. What's the so point? I mean, we all watch our tablets. Why even, <laughs> like, why even shoot with lenses if yeah. it, everything's going to look 55 millimeter anyway? Like everything's going to look like a 55 millimeter wide angle oh. lens anyway. So it, everything just sits there. Everything yeah. has to be in focus when it's that small. 
not only that, but you're also not doing very many wide shots or master scenes. Mm-hmm. It's just all close-ups because it's on a phone screen. So right. it's all just about looking at the people's faces. So Yeah, you can't do vistas. You can't no. do the revenant. No, cuz you would do you, no, you don't yeah. see you don't see any of it. It's too tiny. Right. Um what about um what, what was I going to ask you about the new Predator movie? I have to. If the geekscapists don't get an answer on that thing, they're going <laughs> to What um, Predator movie? <laughs> well, Shane Black's got this new Predator movie. Uh and really? like, we love Fred Decker obviously because of Monster Squad. Fred's and all that awesome. stuff. Like Fred is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this new Predator movie, I don't know how much you can tell me or not, but like I see in some places like you're playing the son of your father's character from Predator 2 or not or this and that. Like how much can you tell us about the new Predator movie? Well, Besides again, the fact that it's going to be awesome. Um, it is going to be awesome. And um, the film, it really does. Uh, you know, Shane has made a point, um, uh, you know, he he openly stated a bunch of times that um, that this is not a reboot, and it's no. you know this falls into the category of being a sequel, and I think it lands in the timeline as three or four. Sure, uh, my dad was in two with mm-hmm. Danny Glover, and um, I think the first one was Arnold in the Jungle, and then two was Danny and my dad in the city, and. Um, you know, what was interesting about my father's character is that uh, the audience watches the film through Danny Glover's POV, right? Mm-hmm. So we're kind of on his side. And when my dad's character shows up, my dad is kind of an adversarial dude. He's a bit of like the nemesis. He's this sort of government guy that's the, the jerk, you know, and he's, he's like, you know, all business and... He's not a friend with our hero that we love and adore. And they were in Lethal Weapon together. And they had been in Lethal guy. Weapon. But then toward the end of Predator 2, you, Danny, or my dad's character and his whole squad, um, Danny keeps pushing his way and searching and searching to, to the point yeah. where he finds them. And then my dad's like, uh, you know, uh, we could use your help. Why don't you get in here? You want to you wanna see what we're doing? I'll show you what we're doing. And he brings them in and then it's like, then Danny's like, oh, oh, okay. So we're these guys, something we've never seen before. Or yeah, and these guys are not bad guys. These guys are good guys. These guys are trying to figure out what the heck's going on with this. So, um, so yeah, there's there's definitely a link between our characters. Uh, you know, my dad's character and my character. And look, everywhere I go, all day, every day, people look at me and they say, "Hey, man, did anyone ever tell you you look just like Gary Busey?" <laughs> <laughs> are you Gary Busey's son? Are you Gary Busey's son? Start so, telling him no. You know, yeah, I mean, I like to mess with people, you know. Like, I'll, I'll just be like, no, nobody's ever really said that. And, you know, or if I'm feeling real, like, snarky, I'll be like, oh, really? Wow, I'm 40. You think I've never heard that one? And then, of course, that's just rude. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, in, in the essence that genetically, um, I don't really see it all that much, but a lot of folks think that I, I'm damn near a twin for my dad. So, so of course, yeah, there, there is a connection there with, uh, with our characters. I think, I think it would be absurd to, uh, if there wasn't, and to expect the audience to have that suspension of disbelief that, that my character has nothing to do with the, uh, the character my dad played. That looks similar. It looks similar. Yeah. In, in and it's fun to play with. franchise. And it's a fun thing to play with. And they, you know, in embracing it is the way to go. Yeah. To yeah. be like, hey guys, we got both these things. Yeah. And and it was really, it was a, for me, it was a wonderful surprise. It was a, it was probably, you know, those, those times when you get a phone, you know, it's almost like the hot chick theory, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you, you meet a girl and, um, exchange phone numbers and you don't think that she's going to get back to you and the phone rings and it, and and it's her you know mm-hmm. and your two buddies are sitting there with one's got a pizza and the other's got a beer and the freaking sega is going with and uh you you look at them and you get the phone in your hand and you're like don't don't look it's, it's her on the phone it's her and Holy she crap. wants to hang out right so it was that kind of feeling shane called me and he was like yo man uh so are you are you busy in May? You got anything going on in May? Like this is in January. Sure. I'm like, well, let's see here. Yeah, my big schedule. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Shane Shane Black's calling me. I, yeah, I'm I'm busy. Yeah, I can't. 
no, I'm not going to say that. So I'm like, I'm holding the phone. I said to my wife, I'm like, it's Shane Black's on the phone. Um, and um, so he said, yeah, you, we're doing this new Predator thing, and uh, you get to um, be a part of it and come up. And, um, you know, it's not a, a, a giant role. It's not a big thing, but it would be, it would be fun to have you as part of it. And um, so I, there was no way I could say no to that. I mean, it was that's like it's a big, a big gift, a big mm-hmm. present. You know, no, that that kind of thing hasn't happened to me and it a, takes place ever in modern day, or does it takes place almost immediately after the events in the second movie? Um, that I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm actually not sure of that. I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is. Because like, if you're playing his son, like modern day can work. Like if you're playing immediately after, it's like oh. you're continuing the oh well it's yeah, yeah no i no it's not the cool. 80s because i cool. mean it's um they're calling it predator 2018 cool i, I believe that's what the the billboard things are saying um so, so yeah. no it's it's not a timepiece. we're not uh we're not going back in time um not yet at least <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just remember robert while we're speaking about robert rodriguez telling me about his when he when he first moved out to la he wrote a predator movie because his agent read van damme and he wrote a Predator movie where Van Damme was a villain, had gotten in league with the Predators. They were time hopping. And so you find out in the opening scene how Danny Glover got that pistol, at, you know, where that pistol oh, came from in Predator. And, like, and wow, so it was basically a, Van Damme versus, versus Dutch. Wow. And, like, you go to the Predator home planet and stuff like that. And Robert Rodriguez wrote this thing, at least wow. as a treatment, back wow. in 93 maybe, 94, yeah. like off the heels of, like, the whole mariachi thing. Yeah. And... He's, I'm just listening to this thing, and I was like, "This is a movie I needed to see." Yeah, Arnold versus Van Damme. Yeah, in a Predator movie. That'd be and, amazing. And like he was a in like I, I remember part of the pitch was Van Damme was using the cloaking technology to not only jump in time but also to hide himself so he could commit crimes throughout time, like stealing things like oh. like gold doubloons from a pirate ship with the pistol. Wow. And so he was laying it all out, and then. Dutch in the Predator. Because that's what we all want to see. Awesome. We would all want to do that, right? Hell yes. Van Damme yeah. versus Arnold in a, in a Predator movie? Like, just fucking turn well, it up yeah. to 11. You got all the pieces. Right, yeah. You know, but I'm telling you, if that movie gets made, this guy across the table from me has to be a part of it. I would love that. Um, but what you're saying again about the call from the hot chick, I also feel like Shane had that call, you know, before Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Robert Downey had that call before Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. This stuff is so cyclical, yeah. and the industry is such an ADD-addled <laughs> like free oh, yeah. and it's like wait what's the hottest thing <laughs> and if you're not that thing you you know you do do the 10 the the, the $10 an hour gigs for a bit and then it comes back to you and all you got to do is like, I mean you said it before the 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 uh the show I believe but the Tom Petty thing that you said when you told oh. me that, like what would you yeah, say about how you yeah yeah it's you know the other day um they were playing excerpts from things that Tom had said and I think it's I don't know if it was one of his more recent interviews um but you know someone had asked him about career having ups and downs and um slow periods and exciting periods and what do you do in the slow periods and how do you keep your you know what how do you keep your enthusiasm and he said well you just got to keep your pool in the water until you get a bite yeah and and i think he really that's something that i think most of us are cognizant of but perhaps it's hard emotionally to commit to that and say yeah you know something's something's gonna pop something else is gonna come along here pretty soon i'm gonna be fine and meanwhile you're just getting your ass kicked the rest of the world is you know the, the freaking edison socal edison doesn't care you know right. you gotta um, pay the bill yeah that rent so, comes every two, every month the rent comes every month regardless of whether or not you're on a high or a low so um I mean, really, it's uh, in 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 this industry. I think one of the the most important things is uh, being like a squirrel and you know stocking that tree full of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, we got your back. This movie, Dead Ant, and premieres tomorrow night, uh, seven thirty. It's part of Screenfest uh, Geekscapist. And if you can't make it, you're not in LA. Let's say you're not in LA. There's a podcast. Uh, if you're not in LA, you guys can probably find it on VOD coming up. Uh, pretty soon. I don't know if the premiere ends up being a date and date or a like big announcement for the, the VOD, but we'll get you guys some information on that. Camelia, do you have any information on the release date of this is the publicist over here? We love you. What's that? It's going to have a world premiere. And then 
we'll get to you guys on the distribution, but be checking the VOD. I know you guys are watching movies on your PlayStations now. I know you guys are watching movies on your computers and on your phones. I would love for you guys not to watch movies on your phone. Watch music videos on your phone. We're down. But, like, movies, cinematic experiences, get that on the big screen. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is one of them because it's about giant ants. And yeah. you don't want to see giant ants the size of actual ants. It kind of destroys the whole purpose. Right? Yeah. And, and, like, and, and was that your actual voice singing in the movie? Uh, some of it, yeah. Some of it, okay. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of that background. Uh, the movie's fun. It's got hot chicks in it. It's got rock and roll in it. It's got giant ants in it. Uh, it's called Dead Ant. And you guys should be looking for it. If you're in L.A., you should be looking for it in your seats at Grauman's tomorrow night. Uh, at seven thirty, as part of Scream Fest, um, and it'll be—it's you know—it's going to yeah. be a hell of a wing ding. It's going to sure. be a real hoot, a real hoot <laughs> nanny. Um, it's you know this—it's like they've got a red carpet, but it's Scream Fest, so it's a black carpet, yeah. which starts at six thirty, and that's when all the big stars like Casper Van Dien and myself will be arriving. Yeah, and, and uh, Tom Arnold's in the movie. Uh former yeah. Geekscape guest Sean Aston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think unfortunately I think I think Sean's out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh Tom's going to be there. Cool. Um and uh Tom's great in the movie. He's very funny. He's very funny in the movie. And, and he's, he's improving some of those lines he's throwing at yeah. you at the back of the truck. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You guys are just landing. You guys are just going. Yeah, yeah, pretty That's much. Cool. Um you'll know the scene I'm talking about when you guys see the movie. You know, he's Tom. So right. he has all those little addendums. But I think this is one of the, I, 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 you know, I dare say this is my favorite performance I've seen of his since. True Lies? Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think we're on the same. <laughs> yeah. We're like, damn, True Lies. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was the one where you were like, oh, that nervous, jittery, sweaty guy is actually really good if you yeah. use him correctly. Exactly. Like, wow, he was... Like, I loved the first fucking scene of True Lies. I was like, oh, man, yeah, right? As, you, you know. Dude, and the other actor who worked with your dad, sadly, the late Bill Paxton. Oh, Bill. I yeah. love him in True yeah. Lies when he's like, man, this girl I got the other day. And was that dream sequence of breaking his face. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and the Bill Paxton stuff, like Tom Petty, like came out of nowhere. We were just like, wait. Fuck, we can go. So, we can any of us can go at any time. Yeah, yeah. And that one was pretty sobering. That was that was a that was a bullshit deal, man. That was a and that was. And he, uh, and he was with your dad and Predator too. Yeah, and uh, and Bill, you know the, the the bummer about it is, is you know we we put a lot of faith in Western medicine, and there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of it. But this was this was one of the things that he he didn't have to pass. Yeah, know? he went into the hospital and, for something fairly routine. Yeah. And yeah, and somebody messed up, and that's really, uh, really tragic. Um, but um, we miss him and love him, and and I I got to spend a lot of time with Bill, and he was he was just always fun, and at his at his um, uh, wake yeah. wake yeah. I kept wanting to say eulogy yeah. at his wake the 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 eulogies from Ron Howard and James Cameron and 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 Tom. Uh, you know Tom Hanks. It, it was just like Rob Rob Lowe and they, the, these guys. The, the, the things that they said and the slideshow and and the way everyone felt about Bill it was all voiced. And um, and it was one of those things. I sat there and I realized what a great guy he was. And then it it was so much so that I was like, wow, I am really a jerk. Like <laughs> what? when like I'm just part- hearing yeah. just hearing like the way like. Yeah, man, you know, when Bill was there, when Bill came into the room, he always shook your hand and looked you in the eye, and no matter who you were, he treated you, you it, like yeah. you were the coolest guy in town, and he was always a gracious host, and he always had a, a a case of beer for you if you were a beer drinker, and he'd invite you into his house, and he was always... I'm like, man, I... I don't do any of those. <laughs> I don't do any of those things. I'm a real turd, you know? And And I've talked to a lot of people who were there at the wake, and everybody felt the same way, like... He was certainly um, a, a special, unique guy. I mean, he was he was uh, incredible. And as as goofy and wacky as he was on screen, he was an art aficionado and just a good old boy with a beer in his hand and um, just a, a wonderful. Uh, and I used the word earlier, but a wonderful dichotomy of a, a personality mm-hmm. because he was. 
like just a good old boy with a beer in his hand, but at the same time, he's like had this depth to him that was like holy yeah, crap. This Monet over here was done in fourteen sixteen, and then this I don't think that's well, the timeline I, is I, off. But, yeah, you know, it, he was uh, very cultured, um, yeah, and appreciative. It seems and like. appreciative, and and I also didn't realize that what a giant, giant, like how many movies he had done. And they were all Jim Cameron movies. Yeah, those guys were best friends. They started to get like, well, they were like set painters or something, or like set sure. design guys. Or Jim, like, Jim was doing that, and then he hired Bill on to like, you know, and then they just hit it off. And then the, when Jim started directing, he just uh, put Bill in every one of his movies. That's crazy. Well, I want to see more movies. We'll work on that over here in Geekscape. Getting you, yeah. getting you pushed because we love you, dude. Dude, well, thanks thank for you. thanks for making the drive, Jake. Thanks for hey, like, man. honestly, man. Absolutely. Thanks for making the drive. Happy Columbus Day. Yeah. <laughs> you made the drive. I hope the traffic was lighter because of it. Um, Geekscape is, again, the movie's called Dead Ant. I want you guys looking for it. Uh, give a big thanks to Jake for coming down and making you know his appearance. Thank and, you. And uh, you can find us always on geekscape.net. We've got Geekscape on the social media. Search for it. Where can we follow you? Oh, I'm at the Jake Busey. So whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I'm... At the Jake Busey. That's cool. my situation. All right. We're going to hit you up. Yeah. Uh, Geekscapist, you know what to do. We love you. Geekscape forever. Um, over and out from the Westwood One Studios. We'll give you guys a new show next week. Right on.